Welcome to that podcast with Sammy Rye. This week we'll be doing some question and answers. We're going to go do a little grab bag kind of discussion thing where I answer some questions from my DMs, from my new Patreon accounts, from my Discord server. Um, where else we got? We have Facebook groups, a bunch of different things we've been going through, and um, lots of interesting topics that came up. And I was recently listening to Bill Burr's podcast, and he does a lot of email answers. And I like that. I like when I get to see his reaction to another person's question. So when I have a guest on the show, that's easy, right? Because we have that back and forth. But when I'm by myself, you kind of just hearing what I'm thinking about. So I thought it'd be interesting, again, to do the question and answer thing. Um, and this one, again, more not so general, like, wait, what, what about Samurai kind of thing. More to some other questions I thought were interesting. So we'll jump right into that. Um, the first one was, I saw a question that I think applies to everyone, right? But it's from a screenwriter. It's in a writing group I'm in. And they said, hey, you know, I have three screenplays. And um, at this point, you know, if you're in this position, how do you stay motivated? And whenever you're in a Facebook group, I think it's important to look at the person's past post, right? Whenever you're in a group, if you click on a person's name, it brings up the next page that shows you that person's activity in the group. It doesn't show you their actual Facebook profile page. You have to, like, click on some other stuff to actually get to their page. Sometimes that's useful, but sometimes just the basic minimum, I think, is you need to look at their past post because it's important to understand the context of who this person is, if you can, that's asking these questions, right? Like, for example, sometimes it's like a robot. Like, you're like, that's not even a real person. I don't know why they're asking this question. It's some kind of, like, fake page. Um, or you can see the other things that they asked about and kind of see, you know, is this a comedy writer? Is this um, someone who's not that serious based on some of the other posts? You know, you kind of get a gist of who the person is. Um, and then, you know, if you're really interested, you go into real, the real profile. Sometimes you can gather some information there. Often not. Like, usually, like, writers don't talk about their writing too much on their main profile page. Typically, it's just in the group. So this person I saw had, in fact, over the last few months, gotten to the end of their third screenplay. And they had started doing query letters, which, if you don't know, is when you send a letter to a company with like a brief description of what your, your screenplay is, asking them if they would like you to send a screenplay. You're not allowed to just send your screenplay to people. Um, they call that like solicited material. They don't accept solicited material. Or, I always mess up those words, it might be they don't, they don't um, accept non-solicited material. I, I always flip those words back and forth. Because one of them means that they don't want you to like walk up to them and give it to them, right? So I, I always take it as like, oh, you're soliciting, you're bringing it to me. They don't want that. They want to ask you for it. Because in the past, there's legal issues where people can send in their screenplays to a company. Someone at the company might genuinely never read it. It just sits in a box somewhere. And then a movie is similar to your screenplay gets made by that company. Then a person comes out trying to sue, saying, yeah, I sent you my email, my screenplay like a year ago, and now you made this movie. And they might have genuinely not ever read your screenplay, or they might have read your screenplay. Who knows, right? Uh, so to avoid that confusion as a policy, companies don't accept them. They reject them. You have to get them requested from you, which creates a problem. If you're a new writer, how do you get companies to ask you for your screenplay? Why would they want to read your screenplay, right? And looking at the other post, I saw this writer went through that process. Was Sorry about that. My daughter got paper cut when she was reading a book, and I had to take a little daddy break there. Right, So I'm going to have to keep it rolling because I want to finish this point, and I have a certain amount of time I can record this in. So basically, that's the process. right? It's, it's difficult as a screenwriter to get your 
thing out there. If you, you know, if you ever heard of someone trying to get their album heard and stuff like that, those are all things that are hard. Except, you know, nowadays you can put your stuff on SoundCloud. You can make a video or something, put it on YouTube. It's very difficult, I think, to convey the screenplay to people who matter, right? Meaning that you, you can't take it right to the consumer. Um, consumers don't really consume screenplays, right? They don't, actually. So, you know, you have to take it to a company or something and convince them, you know, you being a stranger with these words on this paper, that they should give you sometimes, you know, several hundred thousand dollars, maybe even more, to make this into a major motion picture. I think they make like 200 motion pictures a year, not around that number. It's not a lot, right? There's not that many screenwriters necessarily either, but it's it's not a lot of spots, basically. So it was a great question because I think everyone faces this whenever they've gotten to the end of the thing that they like doing, right? You start off doing something, you like doing that. And then you get to the point where you don't want to do the next thing. It's uncomfortable, right? So maybe you like cooking food and you're cooking, cooking, cooking. And then you want to get a bank loan to open a restaurant, right? And figuring out how to get a bank loan and how to turn that into a business is difficult. And it might not be fun. You really want you might want a business in your mind. You might want to walk into a restaurant that you are in control of and then you get to curate a menu and cook food and put it out there, but you might not actually like running the business. That's why sometimes people will partner with someone to do the other thing that they don't want to do. Um, or they will learn that aspect of the business for themselves. Sometimes they like it, sometimes they don't, right? And it's very interesting when you're a writer because if you're a writer it, it, I feel like there's commonly a certain kind of person who becomes a writer. Usually it's an introvert kind of person. Um, usually a person who doesn't want to go out and network a whole lot. And that's a big part of what it takes. If you don't know someone or you can't get that screenplay immediately to someone that you know, you're going to have to know some people. you got to get some people going there. Um, and I find to answer that question for that person, this is what I pretty much said to them, Whereas, you know, the way to stay motivated is be excited about the new things that you're learning. Approach those new situations with gusto. You know, be happy that you get a chance to learn something new and enjoy the process you're about to go through when it comes to learning that new thing, right? Learning how to network, um, I found, is led to all kinds of experiences that I didn't never, ever pictured going through. Um, and at first, I can I recall vividly um, the, the anxiety and the depression and the overwhelming nature of saying how do you get this screenplay into the hands of other people and then once you start talking to people even in the most smallest of ways whatever the most simple first step is you can take it opens up entire new worlds you didn't think about for example um recently i was trying to connect with a local theater group so i went on twitter to look up to see if anyone in these theater groups talk about things i don't use twitter a lot so again i'm learning twitter i'm trying to understand it more and it was very exciting to see real people in my area who are not only in the theater group, but were actively talking about it on social media. They were promoting plays that I could go see in my area. Um, and then just looking at who they were and thinking, wow, like I could be talking to this person one day. And these are people who might have four or five followers, you just are just their friends, right? Like they're not celebrities. But it was exciting to see that there's other artists, and this is their face, and this is their name, and they're in my area. And they might want to act in a film that I'm writing, or they might need help with something that they're doing, right? Um, they might need someone to do camera work for them. They might need someone to write something for them, a monologue or something, right? And um, I was excited to meet these people and then show them what I've been developing, right? It made me want to be on Twitter more. I cleaned up my Twitter. I started getting my other accounts together. Now, the whole process has been a long journey, 
right? Trying to get to the point where I'm unifying my social media presence um, and putting my best foot forward for what it is I want to, you know, show people. But I mean, it's been a great, I think, almost two-year process, right? I've met people along the way. I've met other writers. I've read not. I met novelists. I've met people who do like just a score to the movie, right? Like not not saying like just a score, saying that they have like um they play very specific roles and they're happy with that. Cause for me, I'm, I'm a kind of person who wants to do everything. I like doing lots of different things. Um, as a director, I like having my hands and being able to touch and talk in all the languages of film. So I want to make some music, but I don't want to consider myself the soundtrack person. Um, I always, I'm immediately interested in every part of the process. So like when I met a guy who was just the editor, right? And I say that again, he just wants to edit his passion was just editing. That was amazing to me. It was alien to me because I don't know any really directors either. But to to for my brain to constantly be trying to get get its hands on every aspect of a film because I'm a director and I like doing that. To meet someone who's extremely passionate to that level, but so focused in just the process of editing or making music for a film was fascinating to see someone who like makes music and they want to be in a commercial or they want to get their mu- their music made for a commercial and the process to go about that is awesome. I met a guy recently um who does fashion design. He's in school for fashion design. And it's been so incredible. The all I learned about fashion, costume designs and stuff, just having conversations with this great person, artistic person, um who is generally in- excited about the process of making clothes, not if it's for film, just in general. Um, and then just, you know, they would do whatever, right? I, they obviously would do stuff for film or they don't, they doesn't care because they love designing clothes. And this is why I talk about so much on the podcast, emphasize the universal truths that we all should be looking for, right? Cause that's what I'm doing. I'm seeing the person who's the actor, the fashion designer, the sound editor, the, um, or the composer, I should say, and then the film editor, they all have something in common. They're all out here trying to make it. They're trying to reach their dream. They all work hard. They all study something in particular, and there's something that that's pat. They're passionate about. They have a fire for it. Where they might not be interested in some other things, they all have these different things, and it helps too as a director. Where I always wanted to do all these things, and I sometimes made me feel like I wasn't a director. Like, oh, you just like everything about movies. Is <laughs> kind of how I would feel. But then meet people who have zero interest in directing, who want to specialize in certain things, made me realize, oh, this this is what I am good at. I genuinely am as passionate about all these different topics in the film, which is why I'm good as a director. Plus, I enjoy talking to people and meeting people when I can, especially like-minded, talented people. Those conversations are always a pleasure. Um, so with this person, I explained to them, I said, hey, you know, my, my advice is enjoy the process of learning, right? You have to move into a new space. You have to you know, keep on doing the, the query letters or keep on doing the, the networking that goes into that and be excited about it. Watch videos about it. I was watching a video just when I went to go um, get my daughter from school. I, was, I came across a video that recently was published on YouTube. Maybe I can share it here. Who is this person? Standard Story Company. They recently posted a video, How I Made a Virtual Short Film. A viral short film. I have it cut off. Uh, yeah, they recently made a short film that got a million views in the first month, right? And they're, they weren't like that level. They have a good amount, I think about 18,000 followers, I think, on their YouTube. Um, so to get a million views in a, in a month for a video is a big deal. And he, this person breaks down um, everything they did, right? And when you look at that, again, 
you, if you don't have interest in film, is still something to learn from these people who are telling you about the nuts and bolts of how they do things. Because you can look at your business, the things you want to do, and you can see how to go about it in their story, which helps that screenwriter um, to the writer, what they did was they showed the, the screenplay to a few people. They wanted to make a little bit more higher budget short film than they're typically used to doing for YouTube. And by showing it around, by writing a good screenplay, they did 17 drafts. Um, they, they eventually found someone who they had met who knew another young actor who had been in a few films. And then that young actor wanted to be in their, their short film. So... It brought like more profile to to the project that helped them start a Kickstarter. They got a little bit of money there. They got some money from some other places. And all the ball started rolling for them. But what happens there is you look at that YouTube channel. That YouTube channel I've been following for at least a year. Um, and it's a building channel. It's not huge. But that person explains all their ups and downs throughout the film. And now they're moving into a position after two years of hard work of putting out content, explaining their story and their journey. Now you're seeing their first their first sign of major success, right? Or at least, you know, I think at this point, um, they're at 3 million views, right? So when it first came out in the first month, it had a million views. It's only increasing for them, which is great for everyone involved, right? And that now is now a new thing under their belt. So the next short film they do or the next Kickstarter campaign is going to be a bit more successful and so on and so forth. And, you know, they're going to keep on going. And that's great. Not to mention all the experiences what he shares in the video about what it was like, um, you know, all the things they learned, things they had to change, things that happened in the real world and in the, in the news that ended up affecting their film, some things they had to change in the film because like political issues and things in the area they were filming. Very interesting stuff. So when you're out there and you're pursuing your thing, what I, what, two of the takeaways I saw from that video was, you know, they're, them meeting people who seemingly didn't seem quote-unquote important at the time eventually led to them having someone who had some kind of a connection. It wasn't this huge movie star connection, but it was an actor who had been in professional films. And you had to understand that besides that actor acting, that means that actor was on professional sets. The actor has uh, had some experience seeing certain things being made. That's invaluable to a director or any kind of person making something. If you could just sit down and talk to that person and say, hey, what was your day like when you went in to go work on these films? What was it like working with these people? And who knows, if that goes well, and then that actor takes that short film and shows their people, their agents, whoever they're working with to help them get in the films they're in, those people probably know more people. It's not that far of a gap between you not knowing anyone and you knowing someone who's working in the film industry. It just depends. Are you willing to talk to people who seem like they're not important, genuinely, opening your heart to them, right? Trying to not just, you know, make connections to be greedy, but genuinely supporting their projects, talking to them, and having that energy, putting it out there. You're going to meet people who are going to want to work with you. You're going to meet people who, who want to talk to you, and you're going to grow over time. It's my whole philosophy, and it's not just anchored in something that I came up with. This is stuff that I get when I talk about Gary Vee, when I talk about the idea of, you know, putting your foot forward with gratitude, all that stuff I think is super important and something that I tried to share with the person who's who's asking that question online. And as that was the, the big major one I wanted to talk about today on the podcast. I have some other questions I want to get into, but I'm going to drop out for the commercial break. When we get back, we'll go into some other questions. I'll break down more what's going on on Discord and on Patreon and how I plan on using those platforms a bit more in the future and talk about an upcoming project. I think a project I'm going to try to develop through Patreon or at least on a Discord server. I'm not sure how I'm going to execute with Patreon yet. I don't 
feel like there's something to charge money for yet. But um, I do like the platform and the things that lets you share with other people that are interested in what you're doing. So we're going to go ahead and stop for the commercial break. And when we come back, we'll be doing more of that podcast with Sammy Rye. And we are back. Um, so I want to hop in to the next question we had here. Um, someone asked me on my Discord, what did I think about the show Dope Sick on Hulu? Um, it's a great show, in my opinion, starring Michael Keaton and Rosario Dawson. It's on Hulu, and it's amazing that the show is so current, and it talks about things that happened pretty recently in history, um, and also the way that it's acted and performed. There's so many actors, I don't know their names on the show. These up-and-coming actors, possibly, or just the extras. It has such an excellent cast. Every person that's on there is doing such a good job at conveying what's going on in the show, Dope Sick. Um, and big takeaway I had for that from that show was just how amazing it is how not knowing the the question that you should be asking can lead people down such um, devastating paths. And I think people don't talk about that a lot. Everyone talks about questions and answers, questions and answers. This is the answer to this question. You need to find the answer to your question. But if you don't have a question, if you don't realize you should be asking a question, you will keep on going down a path that you are on um, indefinitely, maybe to the very end. And in this show, Dope Sick, they highlight so many examples of so many times someone should have stopped to just ask one more question or say, hey, where did that answer come from? Um, before accepting it at face value and just moving along and wasting so much time, getting sick, getting hurt. And, um, and now we all know that this stuff is, is true, right? We all know that if you don't know what Dope Sick is about, it's about the opioid, op- opioid epidemic that was, um, you know, America was dealing with at some point. I guess a lot of parts are still dealing with this at this point. Um, the show still has two more episodes, but I was doing some like research about it overall. And what it's like, you know, what the actual problem is, you know, for everyone. Um, and it's just incredible where we used to, I think, a lot of times joke and, and spread memes about how, like, the doctors in the 40s used to say it was okay to, like, smoke cigarettes or people used to paint baby cribs with lead and stuff like that. And it was widely accepted that that was okay. And to see that when the opioids first started getting, like, when um, Oxycontin first started getting pushed, that it was people didn't really resist and ask questions the way they probably should have, which led to a devastating, devastating effect on lots and lots of people's lives, them getting addicted to this very, very hard narcotic. Um, and it's crazy. And I, I've seen it you know, related to a lot of things. Um, I think one thing that makes this situation unique is how it was built on a system that usually comes with a great deal of trust. The idea that you go to the doctors and boom, they'll say something. You go get a second opinion. You go get a third opinion. Something this, this stuff was being taught in colleges across the country as it was widely accepted. This is the way to go. Everyone was on board for such a long period of time in this day and age. And simply some Google searches was enough to uncover a truth that all this information was not even founded on anything. Um, and that is horrifying. 
It's horrifying to be in a generation or a place where we have so much information and such ease of access to information that that such a large amount of professionals wouldn't even bother their search to verify the sources and help perpetuate such a ridiculous claim about that drug. Um, that's what makes it unique. People will link it and so I'll say, oh, it's a, it's you know, no one cared about this when like the war on drugs. I remember the war on drugs right back in the nineties. It's very different, right? We we all understood what weed was. We all understood what crack and cocaine was. We all understood what heroin was growing up as a child. I understood what all those things were, and why we shouldn't mess with them. Um, the fact that oxycontin was introduced to people as something that you should do. It's great for you. It's a miracle drug, is how it was described by a lot of people. And that so many people were on board with it to say, yeah, it's cool. And then so many people started taking it and getting sick. And they're like, oh, you should take more of it. And this went on in this information age. That is what makes it uniquely insane, right? Now, that's not introduced to you as some kind of bad thing. Um, and then also when you should have such access to find that information, people didn't go looking for it. And it got to the point where they were teaching it in colleges that this is what you should do. Um, I, this, the, this story is like one of those TV shows when you're watching it, also with the excellent acting and you know it as a TV show. It's gripping. I, I feel like if you're watching it, because um, that's what you should be afraid of, the takeaway of it. Shouldn't be the the political thing that I've seen. The narrative that rises up around it a lot when people talk about the opioid crisis is comparing it to the early 90s, which is irrelevant at this point. It's 20, 30 years. Um, that is a completely different world we live in. And the fact that something like that could happen on that scale, again, infiltrating what we think is a system of trust when it comes to medicine, and then also no one really stopping to just look it up and realize that the the, the actual documents that comes from weren't even real so like we hear this all the time people throw around health information about um you know exercise and things like that and they'll say oh some studies said this and then you can literally go online and find a study that says this and a study that says the opposite thing so what do you do you don't have information you think you do you don't if you have two studies they're both scientific and you review both studies you can usually review the studies online and they both say wildly different things about something you only thing you can do at that point is try it for yourself and see if that's what you want to do or stay away from it because you don't have conclusive information and we really overvalue that data. We really think that it's because it's written down, it's it's 100% true. You can just trust that. And to see there's conflicting reports all the time about several different things. Dope Sick is a show that says, hey, no, 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 seriously. It does not just being a person, you know, um, this being a skeptic or something like that, you know, it you need a healthy dose dose of um, skepticism when it comes to the, dealing with the the ease of information, because now it's to the point where there's so much information, people are just trusting whatever the popular thing is, um, and th- that can be enormously devastating. So I was really really interested in the show. I wasn't going to watch it at first. I, I like Michael Keaton and everything he does. I think is great. But um, I didn't want to sit down and watch a new show right now. And I put it on, and it was amazing. So I think there's two more episodes left in that. Can't wait to see that. I mean, while we're just on the topic of uh, TV shows, I also saw the new Dexter. That's awesome. I got into the show You also because 
Dexter kind of got me in the mood, and Dexter's doing that one week, one episode a week. So every Sunday now, I'll be watching Dexter, and I hate doing that. I saw a survey recently to show most younger people hate watching shows once a week. That now people usually tend to binge stuff. Um, so yeah, I wish I could binge Dexter, but we'll have to do that week by week. But I thought Dexter was great. It brought the show came back and did everything it's supposed to do. It gave me everything I wanted from Dexter episode, and left me with a very unique sensation Dexter gives you. Well, you're looking forward to the future of the show and the story and you're enjoying it and you're also dreading what's probably going to happen. There's always this impending doom sensation you get that's very unique to Dexter where like you're happy about the decision you may, he made, but then you're also thinking this is not going to end well. It just never ends well. So like, like I think he made the right decision, but something tells me this is also not going to end well. I think it's a very unique Dexter feeling that you get when you're watching that show. Um, and yeah, and it's back. So great for Dexter. You seems interesting. I'm not into you far enough to really have a whole take on it. I think I stopped on episode three last night, and I think it has three seasons. Um, I do like that with the episode I stopped on, they're doing this little mechanic, at least in these early episodes, where the narrator changes, and I think that's cool. I like the idea that um, you can see the show from two people's different perspectives, and they're kind of dealing with the same situation and hearing that internal monologue. That's kind of fun. Um, but then also watching it back to back with Dexter, uh, the the guy on you is not Dexter, and that's kind of funny, but also kind of annoying because I like Dexter so much, and I kind of always look at this guy being like, yeah, you're you're Dexter Dexter like in a way, but not really, and that's kind of funny. So I don't know, I'm not crazy about it yet. I'm not 100 percent sold, but I'm still early into the show. I will be watching more of that. And um, what was I feel like there's something else that I watched recently. So that's you. There's Dexter. And that's it. I haven't been able to catch up on a lot of different shows. Like I said, I've been busy. Um, the other things I wanted to talk about was the Discord and the Patreon and my upcoming project. So over the last year, and this is something I want people to understand on the podcast. If you got this far, you get to hear the secret, right? Is when I'm talking about the podcast, when I'm talking about projects I'm working on, I am in the developmental phase of a lot of different stories and things and trying to figure out how to bring them best to the public. Like that question I answered at the beginning of the, the podcast, right? So when you're creating a lot of these things, a lot of times you'll sit down, you'll have an idea for something, you start working on that idea, that might spark another idea. Or you might hit a roadblock with that one idea. And then just because you enjoy being creative, you create something else, right? So I have tons of short stories, small little things I put together, pictures and illustrations from all over the map that I've been developing over the last two years. And a lot of it is I'm always looking for the thing that I really want to sink my teeth into as a person who's working um, basically on their own with this and saying, this is what I want to wake up and do every day long term. Um, And that whole time chasing that, not really asking the other question that I should ask myself, chasing that, I'm always frustrated that I don't come across a project where I'm like, yeah, this is all I want to do for like a while. I haven't come across a project like that in a while. So I then realized, well, you, you, I'm, I'm trying to be someone else. I'm trying to be a different kind of creator that I'm not. I want to be a novelist, but I'm not a novelist. I want to be someone, I guess, that um, I don't know you know, does different kinds of ways of promoting their books. Every time I see someone promoting their books online, I feel like I'm not them. Like, I feel like I, that's not what I want to do. Um, it's something to see, uh, the way you see a book presented online, even though they've made, you know, strides to use social media and like a, a book cover or something like that, I feel like the books are written in a way 
they're like clickbaity. Sorry, I didn't want to yawn on podcast trying not to do that, but um in a long day. Got up at like five AM I think today. Um yeah, so the, the I feel like books are clickbaity. They're like have some kind of like like it's meant to make you want to buy a book and I'm not crazy about that because they I, usually I think books you you want to come in for a story, so I feel like sometimes they're making almost like cheesy action film versions of books. And this might also be because of what I kind of search on Facebook or whatever. Maybe Facebook just thinks I'm interested in cheesy action version of books or whatever. I don't know why. Cause that's not what I read. Um, but I see these guys promoting. I do sometimes when I see them promoting, I then click on their books and I try to read and support and understand what they're about. And, you know, I talk to them, put questions and I always try to support the community basically. But, um, yeah, I'm not, I don't feel like I have a story that I would love to write 300, 500 pages about. Right. So now I was thinking, well, I'm going to do a hundred page stories for my, my, um, my properties, different things I've developed. And I have two that I'm settled on, but I don't want to step out. Like the ones, the stories I feel are most strongly about, I don't want them to be the first stories, mainly because they're samurai stories. And I think that's confusing, right? So I'm samurai, the person, right? I make music, I write, I I, I act, I guess. And overall, my hopefully I hope to be you know, director slash writer um, is what I really hope to be my be known for. But I have a fictional character named Samurai, right? Um, and I, to make to clear up that confusion, his books aren't called Samurai. It's, they're the warriors of the Golden Coast stories. And I've put him in an ensemble, kind of like Ocean's Eleven. So he's a character in there, but he's like Danny Ocean, right? So the show or the stories do revolve around the Samurai character, who's a fictional character inspired by me, not based on me as a fictionalized version of you know, some of my childhood some things happen in this little future setting and this character goes off to do its own thing, which obviously speaks to some of my ideas and some of the things that I think about, but it's not me, right? That's He's Samurai the Ninja um, as a little small difference, basically. But of course, inspired by me, right? Whatever. I don't want that to be the first thing I come out with. I feel like that's a vanity project, right? No matter how you book it, it's it's my real story. It's a story I feel most strongly about and I use that character to really express a lot of things about life getting older having children um dealing with uh, the, the, the one of the stories deals with toxic masculinity um growing up in a in a spanish community with a spanish father and and what that was like and the difficulties that you face and how times change all these things i you know come from this character because he gets to be the thing i get to express my feelings on about the world and that's i think that's great i think that's a great thing about it i honestly just don't like the fact that i called him samurai right um i almost want to change the character but i i'm not going to do it it's i've been doing that i've been developing the samurai character forever i mean he used to be called samurai the ninja and then when i changed my rap name to samurai because my friend recommended that that um I, I, i came up with the spelling of it i think my friend said you should call yourself sammy or Samurai, and then I developed whatever. But the whole point is, I don't want Warriors of the Golden Coast to be the first thing that I put out. Um, and because that, because when you open it up and you start looking through it, it's heavily a Samurai story. And I like that character being teased and stuff, but I don't want to lead the, the out with that one, right? So the idea I came up with, the solution to the problem was, wait a second, why are you trying to write a book? Why are you trying to do any of these things? 
you should do what you do. And what you like to do is you like to write short stories. And the concept that I have is, so there are lots of, you know, when you're doing a screenplay, a lot of times they want you to do like a one page, where it's like your whole movie on one piece of paper, right? So if someone likes your pitch, generally, the idea would be that you can then handle one piece of paper. And that one piece of paper tells your movie from the beginning to the end in the most condensed version possible, right? It's a little bit more expanded on than the actual, you know, 30-second pitch or whatever, 60-second pitch. Then they have usually what's a 10-page, like a 10-page outline. This is not a golden, it's like a, like, it's not like a, it's like a golden rule, right? It's, you don't have to do 10 pages. But in general, the idea is, okay, we'll take your movie, and now we have a more detailed version over 10 pages. So if I could read it in 10 pages, maybe I will or will not want to buy your movie. Great thing about that is, is it also serves as an outline. So then when you start to write your screenplay, you just take your 10 pages, and then you try to form that into a screenplay because you have a detailed outline. So I have a whole bunch of 10 pages, right? And I like doing that. My first book I ever tried to write, I only got about 10, I think, 15 pages into it. That was the first Neochrome book. Um, And it seems like that is my attention span and level of interest for writing and trying to edit a story. Um, Unless it's a full-on screenplay, then I can do the whole screenplay. Screenplays are different because I like working in scenes. I like working in the screenplay formats. A novel has more space. So 10 pages in a screenplay feels a lot less than 10 pages in a book. So with that being said, I feel like if you do a 130-page screenplay, I don't feel like that's the equivalent to like a 130-page book. I feel like a 100-page book is longer than that. And it's a lot of time and effort to put into something that you don't feel 100% like this is what's going to be the, the thing to make it break me. Next year, once I finally am completely able to travel and do all those things again, the real mission for the Samurai podcast and everything will be to go out and try to go to film festivals, network more in, pe- in person, and and try to meet someone that I can, you know, move my screenplays, get my screenplays solicited, right? Um, or requested, I guess, by the the people who make make films. But in the meantime, I thought a fun project would be to take some of my favorite shorts and bundle them into like a Chronicles of Neochrome kind of thing, right? And I, I don't know if that's going to be this, the name. I hate coming up with a fake name because that ends up usually being the real name, I feel like. You say it so many times, and then that ends up being the name. But take maybe like my favorites. I, you know, to get 100 pages, I feel like you need 100 pages in a good book or in a solid book, 100 to 150 pages. I see books sell around that page count, basically, um, for the sh- on the shorter side of it. And I would sell this for like a dollar, maybe. Um, I think on Amazon, if you're doing a Kindle, like I think $3 is what you're supposed to do. But you also can get into like their program where like it's a free book if people like sign up to the Kindle service. And I would do that. I don't care. But that would be a great way because then I would have those those shorts, those 10 pages basically, all ready to be pitched. If anyone wants them, they can have them from my screenplays. Then on top of that, you have a, a way that I can show that to people and they can see these characters and I can gauge public interest and say, hey, which characters do you guys like hearing about the most? Uh, even if it's only five or 10 people weighing in. Now say, okay, well, since I got five or 10 people interested, 
I will then write maybe full-on books or whatever and create more material revolving around that character. Because um, it's easy to talk about Samurai because I know that character for so so well, and I've developed that for the longest. But they have a lot of other characters that aren't really fully developed, and I don't think that doesn't paint doesn't paint a good um, landscape of Neochrome, right, and the whole world that, that's there with all those characters. I need to put that in a way that people can read it. And I think that's cool because you can pick it up and say, hey – you can read 10 pages of it. If you don't like my writing style, you're going to know right in the preview, right? I guess on Amazon, too, you probably would see a whole character for free, basically, because um, they, they, they give you a few pages that you can preview. And that's really what I want. I don't want – with the Patreon, my, my Patreon account is the same thing. I don't want to set up something necessarily that's asking for money because money is not important in this stage of trying to get this stuff out to people. It's trying to find an engaging way where people can take a look at these characters. And if they like it, they can follow how these characters grow and develop because that's what's going the process is going to be. I'm going to keep developing my material and putting it online – while I'm also shopping screenplays and see if something takes off. Whichever one takes off first will be that. So if I at some point I sell a screenplay, then I can go down that path in life and see where that takes me. But if I never get to the opportunity, or at least not for a long time, gets the opportunity where people are buying my screenplays, I don't want that to be the end of the story. I don't want to say, oops, no one bought my screenplays. Oh, well. I want to be building my other characters, my other properties, other things I can eventually sell as merchandise, and see if I can bring in any income on that hopefully eventually make some short films based on these other characters. Um, I feel like that puts you in a situation where there is no way to lose because even if you don't sell a screenplay, you still have the opportunity to have a life of creating art, creating characters, and things that you can leave behind. And maybe someone else will carry that torch. Maybe my daughter will do it. Um, maybe, you know, I don't know, I die for some reason and then people find out about it or it's just something to leave to your family right they'll have all your different stories and stuff like that maybe that inspires another generation down the road uh the grandpa great grandpa used to write all this stuff and put all stuff online i had a podcast i don't know right i know my grandfather inspired me he used to make music he has all these tapes and music a lot of those tapes you haven't heard in a long time um i think that is an heirloom something cool to create to leave to people so that lets me go day to day knowing there is no way to fail. It's all about enjoying those processes. And I think I want to share that with people and encourage them. And hopefully you understand when you hear me on the podcast talking about an idea and you don't hear that idea anymore, I'm just simply not feeling that idea. I'm not going to do something just because I feel a pressure to keep doing that because that was the most recent thing we're doing on the podcast or online or whatever. I'm doing all this for free. I'm sharing with people hopefully what you guys find entertaining about me and my whole process I go through. Hopefully that inspires you and then even we can jam and talk about things and even work together sometimes. I don't, you know, If that's something that you're interested in, reach out and we can talk about that that's what i hope to put out into the world that idea that you know you can be you now you can grow and put yourself out there now and share that life as you're living it and make the mistakes change your mind do a lot of the unpopular things i think that people kind of don't want you to see they want to kind of just put that photoshop version of everything out there when i look back on this whole thing i want it to be a journey and show people that hey look this is what he did he did it this way he did it that way he ended up here because not only is that good for anyone else outside who might be interested, but I think it's a great story for my children. It's to see, hey, look, this is what Pops did. This is how he went about it. And this is what he ended up at. That's, that's exciting to me. Because not only are my creating 
the art that I enjoy, but I'm also creating a legacy one way or the other. Either it's a blueprint of how not to do things or it's a blueprint of, hey, you know, this is how far he got. This is what he figured out. And we could take that whole thing further. And I encourage everyone, you know, when it comes to recording your podcast or doing those kind of things, you that's what you're doing. And I got this concept from Joseph Gordon-Levitt from his Hit Record website, which is a website I frequent. I really enjoy that site. I like his message. Where when you have an idea, it's just in your head. Until you make it tangible, until you record it, if you draw it down on a piece of paper or you write the words down or you make the audio file, it just exists in your head and then disappears. And it's unique. It's birthed from you, right? So why let that happen? Hit record and put it down somewhere. That's kind of the concept that I – that's how I – understand the concept that he puts out in his website and in that community and there's all kinds of crazy things in that community it's very abstract definitely brings in a lot of abstract artists to that community and that started off as a small website it seemed like no one would ever care about and i know so far it's got a netflix show i've seen it online i know it recently for um ubisoft they did a promotion that i participated in with um for watchdog legions um, there's a that site has gotten so much bigger than I ever thought Hit Record will become, and I think that's a great message, and hopefully that inspires that that did inspire me, and hopefully I'm able to take that and move that a little further in my own way, add my contribution to what I think that whole concept is, because I 100% believe in that. I believe that you should be living your life, doing things you want to do right now, every single day, and you know if you should be free, you should feel like that you can do the things that inspire you creatively. And figure out how to make that your unique thing. Because my, my collection of short stories, if that's something I do publish, and that's my, my thing, that, that could be what my, my thing is. That could be, oh, it's the guy who likes to write short stories and screenplays. I guess, right? Oh, he's the guy who, you know, writer-director, he also writes short stories. Um, you know, I see other people do write short stories. Stephen King, he has a lot of his short stories made in the films. So it could even be that. I could have this book, and I could have it on a, in a platform like Amazon where any person who pays for that has access to it. So even without me trying, someone might read that because it's free and then contact me and say, hey, I want to take one of these short stories. I want to option that into a movie. Can you make a screenplay on it? And then, of course, I can, right? That's great. It's like having my pitch documents constantly on me and actually on you already. I'm already inside your phone. I'm on your Amazon Kindle subscription if you have one, right? So if I meet someone... And I don't, for some reason, have it. I can see it will go in your Kindle. You, you pay for that. A lot of people pay for it. Yeah, it's free. Or, of course, I can like email you a copy of it because then I'll have it digital also. Uh, I just send it to them that way. But I like that idea if someone's hearing about me and I'm talking to this producer. Maybe I'm not talking to them. If they Google me, they can actually go see my pitch documents pretty much, my short stories uh, about different things. They can see that already. It's just on Amazon, and a collection of them are there. And I mean, I could do other volumes. I could do my – I have maybe I think 30 or 40 properties at this point that I have collected over the years since I was 11. Um, and some of them are developed more – did to other than others obviously but then to take the time to go back and catalog all that stuff and say okay well that was an idea you had let's flesh that out to a 10 page let's get your outline together what you would like to do let's put that in the book keep on going keep on going and show people all these different examples i think that'd be fun so we're gonna wrap it up there 
that's pretty much everything I wanted to bring this week to the podcast. Um, again, if you like a link to the Discord, there's no there's no charge to it or whatever. It's a community. I plan on growing it over time with the people that are in that community. So this is a chance if you're interested and you're creative, or even if you just have anything that you want to bring to the table. Um, not saying you have to participate. You could be just t- talking and and making jokes or whatever. The Discord is very customizable. We can add chat rooms within the chat rooms. Whatever it seems like it'd be a fun thing to talk about. And then the Patreon. On the Patreon, when we're starting to actually create the things that are going to go into the book, there I can share things that you can download and you can keep. And there's there's there'll be things that you will be able to have forever that are exclusive to you being an actual Patreon supporter. So I probably open it up like with a dollar tier or something like that. Um and see like how that goes. Maybe everybody gets in for a dollar. Um, used to have something on there, I guess. And that'll be a place where, you know, when I do my, my drawings and my, my writing, I can upload samples that you could keep. Um, and, I mean, and, and really, I, I don't want to be the NFT guy because I know if I'm going to really get into this NFT thing. But I do see the value in the concept of an NFT in this space where it's like, okay, so if I draw a picture and I want to share it with you guys, it's digital, you download it, you get to have that picture in NFT form that proves that you have certain kind of ownership over it and only people inside this group get to have a piece of it. So then in the future, if there's ever any value behind it, you would then have a copy of that, right? Um, I feel like with paper, like Superman number one, it sucks that you can't get your hands on Superman one. You can't own Superman one, right? There isn't a way to really get your hands on that without spending millions of dollars. The NFT space kind of gives you that sensation, like buying a skin in Fortnite or something like that, right? You don't really own these digital things that sometimes you pay for in a physical form. But as you go into more and more of a digital space, if I own an Iron Man skin in Fortnite and then for some reason Epic makes another game and they allow me to keep, keep carry over my Iron Man skin, that $10 I spent on the same Iron Man skin everyone else spent it on now has a lot more value because I get to keep taking this with me and using it in different spaces. So I'm not saying officially I'm going to use NFTs, but it's an idea. It's a concept, right? And that's what I'm talking about is if we're in the Discord together and you say, ah, I have no interest in NFTs, don't do that or whatever, um, then I'm less likely to do it, right? Maybe I'll maybe distribute it in multiple ways. Maybe you say, okay, well, here's like you can download it as a PDF or whatever you you prefer, and maybe I'm going to make an NFT for someone else um, if that's what you're going to do. And that's cool because I'm looking at it as in five, ten years what is going to come from all these conversations? And the people who are interested now, I see the people listening every week. If you guys want to be involved, this is the time to you know, come out, have those conversations. And as I go out and I send those invites to people I meet in the real world, then those spaces will fill up. So eventually the Patreon will be cut off. I won't let anyone else in. Um, you, you can't really satisfy that many people at once. I see like 15 to 30 Looks like that's usually where people operate in based on what it is you're offering. Um, if yeah, we'll have to go step by step, but then maybe I have to do like pricing tiers. We're like, all right, well, it's fifteen to thirty. That's like a five dollar tier now, and then everyone else can get in at one dollar. But then that the one dollar experience wouldn't be the same as the five dollar experience. Um, and I like that idea. You know, I also I probably would try out other platforms like the Buy Me a Coffee platform. Um, where like you know you you have it out there. People don't want to really have like that recurring membership thing. Um, they could just do like a one-time 
thing to support. And then you can get things in return that way too. I think there's lots of different things to do. But definitely join me on Discord. It's free. Inbox me on any of my platforms if you're interested in the link. And then you can be in there and we can talk about what it is and how that would grow. Um, and if you have things that you want to you know, advertise and show, of course, right? Like this being being that founding person there, even if we're not working together, um, I would have no problem with anyone else talking about or bringing attention to things that they're doing. As long as everyone's in the community, supporting each other, having positive energy, that's an app I would love to open. I would love to open an app and have a bunch of positive people willing to talk about things that they're doing, you know, and hopefully that could be a place for us to start. But that's enough for the podcast this week. Thank you guys so much for joining, and I hope you have a great holiday. I believe there will be more podcasts before Thanksgiving, but that's the next one that's coming up. Um, Yeah, I'm looking forward to it a whole lot, right? You guys take care. Peace. (laughs) 